For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Hound of the Bastards by A. Colin Doyle Chapter 11 The Man on the Tour The extract from my private diary, which forms the last chapter, has brought my narrative up to the 18th of October, a time these strange events began to move swiftly towards their terrible conclusion. The events of the next day of Nindebali Graven upon my recollection. I can tell them without reference to notes made at the time. Start them from the day which succeeded that upon which I established two facts of great importance. The one, the Miss Laura Lyons, of whom Tracy was ridden, had ridden to Sir Charles Bastard and made an appointment for him at the very place and hour he met his death. The other, that the lurking man upon the moor was to be found among the stone huts upon the hillside. With these two facts in my possession, I felt that either my intelligence or my courage must be def- deficient if I could not throw some further light upon these dark places. I had no opportunity to tell the baronet what I had learned about Miss Lyons upon the evening before, for Dr. Morton remained with him at cards until it was very late. At breakfast, however, I informed him about my discovery and asked him whether he would care to accompany me to Coombe Tracy. At first he was very eager to come, but on second thoughts it seemed to both of us that if, we went alone, if I went alone, the results might be better. More formally we made a visit, and less information we might retain. I left Sir Henry, Henry behind, therefore not without some pickerings of conscience, and drove off upon my new quest. When I reached Coombe Tracy, I told Perkins to put up the horses. I made inquiries for the lady whom I had come to interrogate. I had never difficulty in finding her rooms, which were central, well pointed. I made Shemmy without ceremony. As I entered the sitting room, a lady who was sitting before a Remington typewriter sprang up with a pleasant smile of welcome. Her face fell, however, when she saw that I was a stranger. She sat down again and asked me the object of my visit. First impression left by Miss Lyons was of one extreme beauty. Her eyes and hair were the same rich hazel colour. Her cheeks, though considerably freckled, were flushed with a discreet lizard bloom of brunette, a dainty pink which lurks at the heart of a sofa rose. Admiration was, I repeat, the first impression. The second was criticism. There was something subtly wrong with her face, some coarseness of expression, some hardness, perhaps of eye some looseness of lips, which marred its perfect beauty. But these, of course, are afterthoughts, and a moment I am simply conscious of the presence of a very handsome woman that she was t- asking me the reason for my visit. I had not quite understood until that instant how delicate my mission was. I have the pleasure, said I, of knowing your father. It was a very clumsy introduction. The lady made me feel it. 
is nothing in uh, no there is nothing in common between my father and me because I owe him nothing. These fangs are not mine. You think what not for the late Sir Charles Lovegill and some other kind hearts that might have starved all your my father cares. The about the late Sir Charles Lovegill have come here to see you. Lovegill started out in lay place. What can I tell you about him? Keatley asked. Her fingers played nervously over the stock of her typewriter. I knew him, did you not? You knew him, did you not? For he said I owe him a great deal of his, his kindness. If I am able to support myself, it is God to the interest that he took in my unhappy situation. Did you correspond with him? Lady looked quickly up with anger gleam in her hazel eyes. What is the object of this question? she asked sharply. The object to avoid a public scandal is better that I should ask than he than here than the ma- that the matter surpassed outside of control. She was silent and her face was still very pale. At last she looked up from something reckless and defiant in manner. Well, I'll answer, she said. What are your questions? Did you correspond with Sir Charles? I certainly wrote to him. Once or twice I acknowledged his delicacy and his generosity. Have you the date of his letters? No. Have you ever met him? Well, yes, once or twice when I came into communication. He's a very kind man. You prefer to do good by stealth. But you saw him so seldom and wrote so seldom. How do you know enough about your affairs to be able to help you? As you say that he has done. He was met my difficulty with uttermost readiness. There were several gentlemen who knew my sadness united to help me. One was Mr. Stapleton, neighbour, intimate friend, Sir Charles. He sees me kindly. It's through him that Sir Charles learned about my affairs. And you're ready, that Sir Charles Baskerville. May Satan, he's a Maria. Upon several occasions, but a lady's statement bore the impression produced on it. Do you ever write to Sir Charles asking him for meet you? I continued. Miss Lyons flushed with anger again. Really? Sir, this is a very extraordinary question. I'm sorry, madam, I must repeat it. Then I answer, certainly not. Uh, but not on the very day Sir Charles' death, the flush had faded in an instant. A deathly faint was upon me. The dry lips could not speak the no, which I rather, which I rather than heard. Surely your memory deceives you, said I. I could quote the passage from your letter in Anglesey, please. If you're a gentleman, burn this letter. Bring you burn at the gate by ten o'clock. I thought she had, that she had fainted, but she recovered herself by supreme effort. Is there no such thing as a gentleman? She gasped. You do, Sir Charles, injustice if you did burn the letter. But sometimes a letter may be legible, even when burned. You acknowledge now that you wrote it? Yes, I did write it, she cried, pouring out her soul in torrent words. I did write it, and why should I deny it? I had no reason to be ashamed of it. I wished him to help me. I believed that if I had any view, I could gain his help by asking to meet me. But why such an hour? Because I had only ju- just learned he was going to London next day. Might be away for months. There were reasons why I could not get there earlier. But why your revenues to the garden instead of a visit to the house? You think a woman sh- could go alone an hour to a bachelor's house? Well, what happened when you did get there? I never went. Just lying? No, I swear it to you. Well, all I hold sacred. I never went. Something intervened to prevent me from my going. What was that? 
fact, it was a private matter I cannot tell it. You managed then, or you made an appointment Sir Charles at the very hour and place which you met his death, for you deny you kept the appointment. That is the truth. Again and again I cross-questioned her, but I never got past that point. If I, as I said, said as I rose and this long and inclusive interview, you're taking a very great responsibility and putting yourself in a very false position. I might make an absolute clean breast for all that you know, though you have to call in the aid of police. You'll find yourself serious, you, how serious we are compromised. The position is innocent. Why did you, in the first instance, deny having rid of Sir Charles upon that date? Because I fear that some sort of false conclusion might be drawn from it. I might find myself involved in a scandal. And why, and why were you so pressing that Sir Charles should have destroyed the letter? If you had read the letter, you know. I did not say I had read all the letter. You quoted some of it. I was advised to the postscript. The letter had, as I said, been burnt and not always edible. I asked you once again why was it you were so pressing Sir Charles to destroy this letter, which you seized on the day of his death. The matter is a very private one. The more reason why you should avoid a public investigation. I will tell you then, if you have heard anything of my unhappy history, you know that I made a, ha- a rash marriage, a reason to regret it. I have heard so much. My life has been one incessant prosecu- persecution. My husband, through my elbow, a lord upon his side, and every day I was placed by the possibility may force me to live with him. At that time, at the time I wrote this letter to Charles, I learned that there was a prospect in way of gaining my freedom to settle expenses that could be met. It meant everything to me, peace of mind, happiness, self-respect, everything. I knew Sir Charles generously, generously his offer to. I thought that if he heard the story from my own lips, he would help me. Then how is it he did not go? Because he'd helped in the interval from another source. Why then did you write, not write to Sir Charles at Weymouth? So I should have done, had, not, had I not seen his death in the paper next morning. A woman's story hung coherently together. All my questions were unable to shake it. I could only check it by finding if she indeed instituted divorce proceedings against her husband at or about the time of tragedy. It's likely that she dared to say that she had been to, not been to Bastia Hall. She really had been. Her chat would be necessary to take her there. And could not have returned to Coventry until the early hours of the morning. Such discussion could not be kept secret. Probability was therefore she was telling the truth, at least part of the truth. Greenway baffled his hiding. Once again I reached a dead wall which seemed to be built across my path, by which I tried to get the object of my mission. Yet more I thought of the lady's face and manner, the more I felt that something was being held back from me. Why should she turn so pale? Why should she fight against every omission till she it was forced from her? Why should she have been so reciprocent at a time of tragedy? Surely the nation of all this could not be as innocent as she would have me believe. For the moment I could proceed no further in that direction, so I must turn back to that other clue which was to be sought for among the stone huts upon the moor. That was the most that was the most vague direction. I realised it as I drove back and noticed how hill after hill showed traces of ancient people 
Barry Moore's only indication had been that the trains had ridden one with abandoned hats, and many hundred of them had scattered throughout the length and breadth of the moor. I had my mate's spirits, and my guide since had shown me the man himself standing upon the summit of Black Claw. Then, at then, I should by it be by it be the centre of my search. From now I should explore every hut upon the moor till I lighted upon the right one. Man were inside, I should find out through them that were acquainted with my revolver necessary, why he who he was and why he was so dogged it dug had dogged us along. He might slip away from us in a crowd of Regent Street, but it would puzzle him to do so upon a lonely moor. On the other hand, I should find the hut. The tenant should not be within. I must remain there. However long the vigil, I should return. Holmes had missed him in London. He would indeed lie triumph for me if I could run him to earth where my master where my master had failed. Luck had been against as against us again and again in this quarry, and now at last it came to my aid. A mission of good fortune there was none other than Mr Frankland. His standing grey whiskers and red face outside the gate of his garden. Which opened on the high road along which I travelled. Good day, Doctor Watson. He cried. He cried. He, unwonted good humour. You must really give your horses a rest and come in here. Come in here and have a glass of wine. Congratulate me. My feelings towards him were very far from his own friendly. As what I heard of his treatment of his daughter, I was anxious to send her to a wagon at home. Opportunity was a good one. I lighted and sent a message for Henry, which should walk over in time for dinner. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones... Who get it done? Dining room. It is a great day for me, sir. One of the red letter days of my life, he cried with many chuckles. I have been bought off a double rent. I mean to keep them. You part of the law is the law. There is a man here who does not fear to invoke it. I have established a right of way for the centre of old Milton, Milton Park. Travel across it, sir. Well, within a hundred yards of his own front door. What do you think of that? He teaches magistrates that cannot ride roughshod up over the rights commons of confoundment. No clothes of wood were the furred worthy folk used to picnic. They funny folk who seem to think they were no right were no rights of property. They can swarm where they like. Their papers and their bottles, both places decided, Mr Doctor Watson. Both in my favour. Haven't it such a day? Since my head said John Morland for trespass, till he shot it in his own warrant. How on earth did you do that? Lock it up in the box, sir. I will play Ruby. Franklin versus Morland, Court of Queen's Bench. Well, it cost me two hundred pounds. I got my verdict. Did it? Did it do any you any good? None, sir. None. I'm proud to say that I had no interest in the matter. I had it entirely from a sense of public duty. I have no doubt, for example, the fine worthy people burn me in effigy tonight. Told his first time they did it. They should stop these by straight from exposition. Country constable, it's a scandalous state, sir. 
Prince Valentine was a stern estate star, but he could not afford the name to protect him to which they were entitled. Case of Franklin was some humour. But bringing the matter before the attention of the public, I told them they would have my attention and grant me treatment of money. I only my word to come through. How so? I asked. The old man put out a very known expression. He thought I could tell them what they were dying to know, and nothing would induce me to help the rascals in any way. I've been casting around for some excuse by which I could get away from Glossop, and now I began to wish to hear more of it. I had seen enough of the contrary nature, country, contrary nature of the old sinner, I understand that any strong sign of interest would be the surest way to stop his confidences. Some posting case, no doubt, said I, with indifferent manner. Ha ha, my boy, a very much more important matter than that. What about that convict on the moor? I said, you don't mean that you knew, you know where he is, said I. I may not exactly know exactly where he is, but I am quite sure I could help the police to lay their hands on him. Has it ever struck you for a way to catch the man and find out where he got his food so close at the inn? Certainly seemed to be getting uncomfortably near the truth. No doubt, said I, but how do you know that he is anywhere near upon the moor? Well, I know because I've seen with my own eyes the messenger who takes him his food. Well, as it sank to Barrymore, it's a serious thing to be in the power, the power of spiteful or busybody. So his next remark took a weight upon my mind. You'd be surprised to hear that his food is taken to him by a child, seen every day as though with my telescope upon the roof, passes along the same path at the same hour. As to whom should be getting from him except to the convict? Here was enough indeed. We had to suppress all appearance of interest. The child Barrymore said, Unknown, unknown was supplied by a boy who was on his tracks and not upon the convicts that frankly had stumbled. If I could get his knowledge, it might save me a long weary hunt for credibility and influence to remedy my strongest card. I should say that it was much more likely. I should say that it was much more likely that it was the son of one of the Morland shepherds taking out his father's dinner. His eyes, appearance, or position struck fire out of the old abstract. His eyes looked very negatively at me, his grey whiskers bristled like those of an angry cat. It is, sir, said he, pointing out of his wife's direction more. Did you see that black pool yonder yonder? Well, do you see that low hill yonder the foam bush upon it? It's a stoniest part of the whole moor. It is that place where a shepherd would like would be likely to take his station. Your suggestion, sir, is a most absurd one. I immediately answered. I had spoken without knowing all the facts. His suggestion pleased him and led him into further conferences. You may be sure, sir, I am very good ground before I come to an opinion. I have seen the boy again and again with Bumble. Every day, sometimes twice a day, I've been able. But wait a minute, Dr. Watson. Do my eyes deceive me? Or is there a present moment something moving upon that? hillside. It was several miles off, but I could distinctly see the dark grey dots against the dull green and grey. Come on, sir. Come, sir. Come, cried Franklin, pushing upstairs. You'll see with your own eyes and judge for yourself. Telescope, formal instrument, mounted upon the tripod, stood upon the flat leaves of the house. Franklin shut his eye to it and gave a cry of satisfaction. Quick, Dr. Watson, quick, before he passes over the hill. 
Yeah, he was, sure enough. Someone watched him. The little bundle from his shoulders, pulling slowly up the hill. When he reached the crest, I saw the ragged, uncouth figure outlined for an instant against the cold blue sky. He looked around him with furtive and thirsty exotic air, the one he dreaded would seek. Then he vanished over the hill. Well, am I right? Certainly there is a boy who seems to have some secret errand. Of what that errand is, even a country constable could guess. But one word shown only they have from me a blind need of secrecy, answered Dr. Watson. No word, you understand, does his wish. Then you have treated me shamefully, shamefully. When the facts come out with frank university agreement, I eventually think that it is filled with indignation. I run through the county. Country. Nothing will induce me to help the police in any way. All they cared it might have been me instead of my effigy. They told the rascals burned at the stake. Surely you're not going. You'll help me get into the canter and honour this great occasion. But I only resist all these desolations. I see him dissuading him. They disannounced. Announced. Essentially walking home with me. I kept the road as long as his eye was on me. Then I struck off across the moor and made for Stony Hill over which the boy disappeared. Everything was working in my favour. I swore I should not be through lack of energy perseverance. I should miss the chance which fortune had thrown in my way. The sun was already sinking when I reached the summit of the hill. A long slope beneath me all golden green. One side the grey shadow of the other. A lazy low lay haze laid low upon the furthest skyline, out which jutted the fantastic shapes of Olivia and Vixen Tor. Over the wide expanse was no was no sound of a mink. One great grey bird, a gull of curfew, soared aloft in a, in a blue heaven. He and I seemed to be only one of the things between the heavy arch. Huge arch of sky and a big desert beneath it. Barren scene, a sense of loneliness and that mystery of earnestly, a task all struck a chill into my heart. The boy was nowhere to be seen, but down beneath me a cleft of hills with a circle of old stone huts, in the middle of them was one which retained a significant roof to act as screen against the weather. My heart leaped within me as I saw it. This must be the barrow for a strange alert. Thus my foot was on the threshold of this hiding-place. The secret was in my grasp. As I approached the hut, walking as warily as Stapleton would do when with Polly's neck he drew near this deserted reservoir, shouting myself a place of deed dim need of habitation. A bay pathway among the boulders led to a dilapidated opening which served as a door. All was sonic within. The unknown must be lurking there. We might be prowling on the moor. My nerves tingled with a sense of adventure. Throwing inside my cigarette, I closed my hand upon the butt of my revolver. I walked swiftly up to the door. I looked in. The place was empty. There was ample signs I had not come upon a false scent. This certainly was where the man lived. Some blankets rolled in waterproof lay upon the very, very stone slab in which the orthotic man might slumbered. The ashes of fire were heaped in a rude grate. Beside it lay some cooking essentials and a bucket half full of water. A litter of empty can tins showed that the place had been occupied for some time. And I saw in my eyes something accustomed to checkered light, like a pinnacking, half full bottle of spirits standing 
corner in the middle of it was the hut the flat stone served the purpose of a table and upon the stall a small cloth bundle say no doubt which i had seen from the telescope when i saw the boy contained a loaf of bed a tin tongue and a two tins of preserved peaches so i set it down again after being having after examined it my heart leaped to see that beneath it lay a sheet of paper with writing on it i raised it and this was what i read roughly screwed in a pencil so it was something gone to the printation for a moment i stood there the paper in my hands thinking and the meaning was cut with message it was i then and not sir henry had been dodged by a secret man who had not followed me himself he was set in an in an agent a boy hacked upon my track and this was his report possibly i had taken no steps since i had been upon the mole which did not which had not been observed and reported always as a sinner or unseen false a fine net drawn round us with infinite skill and delicacy holding us so lightly it's only at some supreme moment that one realised that one was indeed entangled in his meshes. If I, if there was one report, there might be others. So I looked around the hut, searched them. There was no trace of, of anything of the kind, nor could I discover any sign which might indicate the character, potentially of the man who lived in this flat room. If I stayed, he must have made of Spartan habits and cared little for the comforts of life, which is the fault of a heavy rain and look the draping roof by Sir so how strong and immovable was his purpose, which kept him in that hospitable inhospitable abode. Was it he on a malignant enemy, or is he by chance our guardian angel? I swore I would not leave the hut before I knew. Outside the Hassan was sinking low, a west was blazing with scarlet and gold. The veteran shot broke back in rudely patches by the distant pools which lay amid the great Chimtimaya. There are two towers of Basketball. There was a distant blur of smoke which marked the village of Grinton. Between the two behind the hill were the house of stables. All was sweet and mellow, peaceful in the garden, even light. Yet as I looked at them my then my soul shared and the peace of nature. A quiver of vagueness and terror, entity which every instant bringing near with tingling nerves but a fixed purpose. I sat in the dark recess of the hut and waited with sombre patience for the coming of its tenant. But at last I heard him far away come a sharp clink of boats striking upon a stone, and another, and then another, coming nearer and nearer, I shrank back to the darkest corner. I cut the pistol in my pocket, determined not to discover not to discover myself, till I had an opportunity of seeing something of a stranger. There was a long pause that showed that he had stopped. Then once more the footsteps approached us and a shadow fell across the opening hatch. It's a lovely evening, my dear Holmes, said a well known voice. I really think that you sh- you'll be more comfortable outside than in. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. 
Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.